Welcome back to the Clean Water Pod, the show about the challenges and successes in restoring and protecting water quality. My name's Jeff Burkus, and I'm talking to dedicated professionals across the country to build an understanding of how policy and science work together to meet the goals of the Clean Water Act for fishable, swimmable, and drinkable water quality in our nation's waters. I'm joined by my colleague, Sarah Schwartz from the EPA to help define a couple terms for our show today. Sarah, we are at the TMDL program. Are you ready to talk about the other half of the 303D program? Yeah, I'm excited. Yeah, this is great. So this is where I worked for 13 years, and this is where you currently work. Did a lot of work in this program, and this is going to be the centerpiece of going forward of what we're going to be focusing on in future seasons, where everything's going to start with the water quality plan um, in terms of the successes that we see across the country. So what terms do we need to know for this episode? The first one is TMDL, which stands for Total Maximum Daily Load. Now, what does that mean? The total maximum daily load is the maximum amount of a specific pollutant that a water body can have in it and still be considered healthy and meeting the water quality standards set for that water body. So essentially it's a calculation to figure out the tipping point. But we also use the term TMDL to refer to the restoration plan itself, which is much, much more than just the calculation. We call the TMDL plan the math and the path to restoration, or I've also heard it referred to as a pollution budget. Yeah, absolutely. So this is, it's really kind of a funny program because TMDL, we would use that interchangeably. It means very something specific like the, the equation, but it also refers to the entire plan. And then you say something to somebody who's never heard of that. They say, what are those letters and why are they together? And so the way that I would describe this to people, uh, particularly if I was at a public meeting, is that to imagine a pack mule with a cart and it, let's say that cart is empty and that pack mule can run around all day without any real problems. And then we start putting boxes on the cart and it gets a little harder for that pack mule to run around with that cart. We put more and more boxes to the point where that pack mule can't actually move the cart anymore. And there's a kind of a humorous picture of a pack mule up in the air because there's so many boxes uh, on this particular cart. And I use that for the illustration. And then I say, hey, imagine that the lake or the river or the stream that we're talking about is the pack mule. And the boxes are actually boxes of pollutant. We can have a few boxes of pollutant on that, on that cart and that pack mule is still going to be fine. That lake is still going to be fine. But if you get too much, that lake can't do the work that it's supposed to do anymore. That water body can't do the work that it's supposed to do anymore. And that usually helps people understand, okay, that makes some sense. So our job in the TMDL program is to calculate how many boxes of pollution are in this lake or in this river right now, and how many do we need to pull off of the cart for the lake yeah, for the lake to get back to healthy levels. That's a great analogy, Jeff. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. So what's the other word that we need to know today? Allocation. Allocation is, is getting into the nitty gritty of the TMDL calculation. Um, if a TMDL is the maximum amount of a pollutant that a water body can have and remain healthy or be restored to health, then the allocation is basically the pie chart breaking up how much of that pollution can come from different sources. So how much can come from, let's say, a factory or a wastewater treatment plant and how much can come from runoff from urban stormwater, agricultural fields, etc.? 
Right. So there's a very key image and basically any TMDL or water quality plan that you're going to see, and that's probably early on, and it's going to say allocation, and it's going to be almost certainly a pie chart or maybe some other graph that will show that distribution of where the pollution's coming from. The, the goal of the, the water quality plan to show what a potential solution would be to get back to a healthy water, correct? Yes. So that really goes to that math part, right? So, so there's the math element. Again, that's the equation of the TMDL. And the path part is that scenario of where you could get back to the healthy part of the lake. So, so we found two people to talk about this program, as we have in previous episodes. And I have to say that I really love these two people. First, Ron Steg from Wyoming brings a, a very interesting perspective, and I'm really excited to talk to him. And then Tracy Ayat from Connecticut. Tracy and I are very close. She was my co-chair, or I, more accurately, I was her co-chair um, at the National Watersheds Committee for five years. She still serves in that role. And I will say that if I ever had a question, I would just first call Tracy and ask her because she'd almost always know the answer. She always knew what to do. And so I'm really pleased that she's willing to be on this podcast and share some of her knowledge of this program as we said earlier, this episode is going to be the epicenter of the clean water pot, not only because this is the bridge program that connects assessments, water monitoring, data, and standards to the implementation programs that we'll learn about in the next couple episodes, but because water quality plans will serve as our guide in future seasons for exploring clean water successes. So without further delay, here's my interview with Tracy and Ron. I'm pleased to be joined by Tracy Ayat of Connecticut and Ron Steg of Wyoming. Thank you so much for joining me on the Clean Water Pod. It's great to be here. Good morning, guys. All right. Well, let's start with you, Tracy. So, Tracy, can you give me an introduction as to your background, where you got involved with water quality, where you went to school, and how you got interested in this work? Sure. So, I think fairly early on, I knew I liked science and I, I liked biology. And I also liked protecting animals and kind of public service. So I put that all together in my early career and thought, I'm going to go into veterinary medicine. <laughs> so I went to um, Fairfield University and got an undergraduate degree in biology, kind of in a pre-med program, and thought that before I applied to vet school, I'd I'd go to graduate school and get a little bit of experience there first. So I um, went to the Ohio State University and I got involved in a project that really changed things for me. At Ohio State, I studied in the Department of Zoology, but my focus was environmental toxicology. And I had the opportunity to work on a project um, that was already in progress on a population of fish that were exposed to environmental contaminants and these fish had cancer. When you saw the fish in the river, about a third of them had some sort of lesions on their outside. When you open them up, you could see cancer in their liver and the scientists who were studying them in the lab saw even more cancer when they looked at the liver under the microscope. And I had an opportunity to do a study that tried to link the contamination in the river with the cancer in the fish by looking at how the fish 
handled the chemicals inside their body. And I thought this was a showstopper. There's a way of using science to make studies and decisions that could help people and that could help animals and could provide a public service. And so I completed my master's degree and instead of applying for further schooling, I went out and I looked for a job and I was lucky enough to be hired by the Connecticut Department of Environmental Protection. And it was a really great time to be hired there. Um, they had just updated their permitting regs to focus on environmental protection and biological impacts from effluents. The Clean Water Act was just revised in 87 and I was hired to do two things, to work in the water quality standards program, developing criteria and, and implementing updates to the standards and then to work in implementation of the standards by working with our permitting group to create a water quality approach to permitting and to look at aggregate biological impacts of permits um, on aquatic life. So we did a lot of toxicity testing. And that was really a great experience for me. And over time, I've been with the Department of Energy and Environmental Protection now about 35 years. My experience has kind of expanded from standards, still in the standards program, but my implementation experience expanded to uh, risk assessment for cleanup programs and a variety of other experiences till at some point I got the opportunity to take a step back and get involved in um, the 303D program that we'll be talking about today, which was great because it provided a holistic approach to link the standards to these implementation programs that I've been I had been gaining experience in. Perfect. So I, I'm what I love about this pairing of the two of you is that Connecticut, very small state, very densely populated, and we go all the way out west to Wyoming, where we are very not densely populated and very mountainous and and, and a very different landscape. Both of you work in this same program. So Ron, I want to ask you the same question. Your background, are you from the Mountain West or did you relocate there? How did you get into this work and what are you doing now? Sure. So uh, kind of start with what I'm doing now. I, uh, I oversee Wyoming's TMDL and assessment program. I also manage the, the Lander field office for Wyoming. I've been doing this for, I don't know, 35 years, a long time. I, I originally, I, I grew up in Western New York State and have been migrating West my, my whole life. And, and kind of like Tracy, I, I kind of knew when I was 12 that I wanted to do something related to the, the outdoors. I, I grew up with a passion for hunting, fishing, everything outdoors. Originally, I, I think I wanted to be a, a fisheries biologist. I ended up with a, a bachelor's in biology. And when I got into grad school, I was going to go down the fish path. And my advisor said, well, do you want to get a job or do you want to get a, a fish degree? Maybe you should focus on hydrology. So I ended up with a, 
a master's in water resource management and hydrology. I've mostly been working on water-related issues for the last 30-some years. I did a stint with um, the oil and gas industry as a hydrologist when I first got out of grad school. Um, then I spent eh, maybe roughly 15 years in a, a number of different consulting firms, kind of working all over the country a little bit in, in Canada. And then since about 2000, I've focused almost exclusively on, on 303D related issues, TMDL assessment, those sorts of things. I started off kind of at an interesting time in the TMDL program when all the lawsuits were, were coming about. I started with Montana DEQ as a TMDL writer about a month before the uh, Friends of the Wild Swan versus EPA uh, court order came out requiring Montana to complete, I think it was like 1,750 TMDLs in a very, very short period of time. Shortly after that, I became the manager of Montana DEQ's TMDL program. EPA then stole me and I spent 10 years at EPA working on the, on the TMDL program primarily working with overseeing Montana's TMDL program, then moved to Wyoming with the state again, with Wyoming DEQ. I've basically been working with the same group of people doing the same kinds of things, I guess for 22 years now. So let's talk about the TMDL program. Now, Sarah Schwartz and I up top define TMDL a little bit here, but I want to talk about the fundamentals of the TMDL program. So when you go out into a public meeting or when you're talking to, say, a new staff person or you're hanging out around the family dinner table and someone asks, what is it that you actually do? How do you describe TMDLs? Tracy, let's start with you. The first thing that I do is I set aside the term TMDL because that really doesn't communicate very well what we're all about. And we have substitute, we substitute the word water quality action plan. The way I explain that is we're trying to make a link between what we know would be healthy for our waters and for the communities that want to use our waters with the actions that are needed to either restore waters that are affected by pollution or protect waters that are having healthy populations. So we, we talk about, I talk about it in the context of a water quality action plan. We want a good foundation in the science of water quality and the understanding what society needs for the uses of the water and put that into plan that can link the science with the actions on the ground. Ron, what about you? Do you use something similar? Do you call it like a water quality action plan or some similar language? We've kind of gone through a whole evolution there. When I started with the TMDL program, I mean, certainly in Montana, but I think it was a pretty similar time frame nationwide. Nobody really knew what a TMDL was. No one was doing them, hence all the lawsuits requiring, forcing people to do them. So when we started, I mean, honestly, nobody really knew. So we looked at the Clean Water Act, we looked at whatever guidance, and we went out and we tried to explain to our stakeholders 
all of this policy stuff and components of total maximum daily loads and waste load allocations and load allocations and yada yada. And I think we did a major disservice to the program at that time. I mean, total maximum daily load, that really doesn't mean anything to anybody. So yeah, I mean, we've gone through an evolution of calling them water quality restoration plans, a bunch of other things. But really, I mean, really what it boils down to and I, I, I think we're far better off trying to keep things simple. A TMDL is a plan to achieve standards in, a, in water bodies that are currently impaired. It's really that simple, especially when you're talking to folks that don't have to check all the boxes and make sure that they've got a document that meets all of the EPA requirements. Yeah, I really like that a lot. But I want to get nerdy for just a second because the plan itself, sometimes we use that interchangeably because the TMDL, it means the water quality plan. We just kind of refer to that loosely amongst water quality professionals. So I think that anybody that is listening to this that may be going to a public meeting, you might hear those terms uh, used interchangeably. So it's just important to know what that means. Um, but I will also want to say it, it also means a specific formula. And it, that, those stand for something. So we're going to nerd out just for a minute and we're going to define that formula. And Tracy, would you be willing to define the formula for us? Sure. So in the end, a TMDL is talking about a load, which is an amount of a, of a pollution or pollutant that a water body can um, handle and still meet the uses of that water body. And that load is broken down into several different components. We look at the amount or the load from what's known as point sources. Those are things that are usually authorized through a permit. And that part of the equation is called a waste load allocation. The next part of the equation is from what's called non-point sources. These are generally non-permitted actions that can have effects on water quality. Often they're things like land uses and such. And the amount of pollution from those activities are brought under the weight of the load allocation. And then we have a consideration sometimes of background conditions and a margin of safety. Margin of safety considers that we aren't 100% certain of all the different analyses that goes into the TMDL evaluation. So this is to provide a level of safety that we're going to actually hit our water quality targets. So in the end, the TMDL is the waste load allocation from point sources plus the load allocation from non-point sources in the margin of safety. So for you, the listener, we're going to get more in depth on non-point source issues, which is there's a whole program associated with that. That will be a future episode. And then point source issues, which will go into permits. That will also be a future episode. Those will be the next two episodes that we cover. And so that's a really great introduction that there this document and this formula sets up for the next two programs that we'll talk about. So thank you, Tracy, for taking us through that equation. And we'll we'll get out of the nerd zone a little bit here and, and we'll kind of go back. And I will just say TMDL overall is a difficult word and doesn't mean anything. I always called it my favorite four-letter word, but 
that's uh, that's another story for another time. So what I want to talk about this whole season has been about the reflections of the accomplishments of the first 50 years of the Clean Water Act. And Ron, you mentioned something that is pretty interesting and in that a lot of lawsuits were required to jumpstart many TMDL programs throughout the country. And so you don't necessarily have 50 full years of TMDL progress uh, in the Clean Water Act. You, most states have something more like 25 years, right? So the question it, that I'll ask both of you, and we'll start with Ron, what do you think from a national perspective are some of the biggest accomplishments in the first part of the Clean Water Act in the TMDL program specifically? I don't know. That's not, that's not a, <clears throat> a real easy question off, off, off the top of my head. Honestly, um, the concept, I think the concept of a TMDL is, is, is really good coming up with a plan to attain water quality standards. And honestly, um, it's something that I had been involved in using other names without the, the TMDL requirements for, for many years. I mean, we put lake management plans together um, all over Wisconsin. We did all kinds of watershed management plans. But I, I think focusing our energies on, on first identifying what the water quality problem is and it, the, 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 the TMDL kind of forces us to do that. Let's first develop an understanding of what that water quality problem is. Then let's identify all of the potential significant sources and prioritize those, establish some goals and actually focus on achieving those goals with an understanding of the sources. So, I mean, honestly, just pulling it all together. So we're thoughtfully working through a process from understanding a problem to, to fixing the problem, I think is one of the biggest accomplishments with pushing forward with the TMDL program. You can't fix a problem until you understand it. And I think this whole program's forced us to go down that path. Ron, can I get you to follow up just a little bit with that? When you're working on these, on these water quality plans and these projects, what are you doing um, to, to try to answer those questions? Are you using modeling and what, what does that look like? Are you, are you taking a lot of uh, data that's on the ground? Are you simulating data? Like just let's nerd out just again for just a minute to, to give kind of a basic understanding of what the process is of developing one of these plans. Well, I mean, it, it starts before really the, the TMDL process starts. The starting point is assessing assessing our waters, collecting chemical, physical, biological uh, data in, in the streams and lakes to determine whether or not we're meeting standards, and then developing an understanding of that impairment. What are the what are the causes of that impairment and how does that impairment manifest itself in in the water body that's that's really the first step and it's a super important step generally kind of begins with with our assessment program before we jump into starting to, to develop a plan once we have a solid understanding of the problem kind of begin the process it's let's compile all of the data that has been collected to date, maybe by other agencies, maybe by watershed stakeholders, and, and, and take a look at that and determine, do we have enough data to understand what's going on in this watershed? 
do we have enough data to understand what the sources are of this problem and how much is coming from each of those sources? Kind of identify data gaps and then sometimes we've got all the data we need to, to start going forward with the process. Other times we've got to go back out in the field, collect more data to better understand the problem. And in cases where we, we might not have quite enough data to, to answer all the questions, um, you mentioned simulation, we might um, attempt to model uh, a watershed to simulate the fate and transport of, of pollutants through the environment into the, the water bodies. So I think that that's an interesting point right there is that there's computer modeling, right? And there's uh, has improved greatly over the years. The statistical packages that uh, scientists are able to work with have improved. The, the modeling has been able to replicate what's happening in streams and lakes better as time has moved on. There's been more accuracy. But that goes back to what Tracy's point is with this idea of margin of safety, just to kind of tie that back together is there's no perfect model out there. Anybody that does that work, anybody that writes TMDLs or, and water quality plans and uses that type of approach knows that they can't necessarily guarantee 100% accurate accuracy at all time. So that, that I just wanted to kind of follow back up and that's why that margin of safety exists and why that's part of the calculation. Tracy, I want to I want to ask you the same question about the accomplishments in the first 50 years of the Clean Water Act specific to the TMDL program. Your experience and my experience overlapped significantly as we were the co-chairs of the National Watersheds Committee. And so we saw things from maybe a little bit different perspective working in that direction. And so I'm curious what your answer is in terms of accomplishments. Sure. And, you know, and I, I agree with Ron that the TMDL process and vehicle is, is really important um, and, and a game changer for doing effective environmental planning. But what I'd add on to that is changes in the past 10 or so years in the TMDL program that, that Jeff, you and I worked on together and, and we worked on um, with some of your earlier guests, Tom Stiles and John Gooden. Tom and John got together and wanted to look at a way to make the TMDL program more effective. As you've mentioned in our conversation today, there were a, there was a period of time when production of TMDLs by states had slowed and that engendered a lot of lawsuits. And because of those lawsuits, states were forced to create TMDLs, but create them quickly. And so we were looking at low hanging fruit not necessarily things that were important to the states, the citizens of those states, and addressing the really critical environmental issues that we needed to address. Tom and John had got together and wanted to look for an innovation to change the way we focused the TMDL program. I was lucky enough to be brought in to work with them at the Association of Clean Water Administrators, and Jeff, you came in and, and worked with us on what was called the 303D program vision. The TMDL program vision was to take the existing law and look for new and innovative ways to partner within agencies, with, within states, 
tribes and territories across the state and federal lines and be more effective in the way we're putting together our plans to see a better result for the environment. It expanded the toolbox that we used. So as Ron mentioned, you know, the use of water quality models uh, was, was a focus area in addition to gathering data. We also looked at not only restoring waters or bringing waters back that had been impaired, but also protecting new waters and using innovative tools to get the job done, to, to find ways that's the most effective path forward to achieving our water quality goals through planning. So for me, it's that collaboration and that, you know, looking at new, new ways to implement existing laws through the TMDL program vision that I think was the next step in moving the program forward. This should certainly be applauded. This is one of those uh, great examples of the federal government and their uh, hardworking employees and state government and their hardworking employees who have different approaches to the same problem, but coming together and finding a path forward that made sense for everybody. And that was a, a, a years long cooperative uh, situation that that borne out the the results that you, you discussed there, Tracy, and that's still going on today with continuous innovation um, as TMDL programs become more and more important to, like you said, the the low hanging fruit in many situations has already been picked. And so how do you attack some of those more complicated projects that are out there? How do you get creative in using the tools available to try to solve some of the more difficult to, to get at water quality issues? Ron, do you have anything to add to that? Yeah, and, and Tracy, kind of brought up a, a good point. Really, the first 15 years I spent in the TMDL program really focused on just getting TMDLs done because a court order said we had to. It was all about pace. It was all about bean counting. That changed as states met their, their court order obligations. And about that time, um, as, as you mentioned, we started talking about a new vision for for the TMDL program, and and both in 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 Montana and Wyoming, it's taken a little time to get over. We just got to get them done with what we have to start thinking about what's the best way to move forward in this situation to address this water quality problem with the tools that we have in our toolbox while at the same time meeting the requirements of 303D. And important to note that the quality certainly passed the standards that needed to be done to have those TMDLs be approved at the time. But as we get into more complicated watersheds and more complicated impairments, it takes a little bit more innovation and time to be able to write those new plans. So that's uh, something that states may not have been willing to invest the time in years ago because they knew that it would take away from some of the production work that they needed to, to accomplish with some of the, the impairments that were on the impaired waters list that we talked about last time that they, they needed to get done in a short amount of time. And now there's a little bit more time and ability to focus on some of the stickier issues. So I wanna bring it back to your own 
respective careers and talk about specific accomplishments that you have been involved with in your career. And that can be in your state, in, in your work or in your region, but, but something where TMDL based that you played a role in that you're particularly proud of. Tracy, would you like to start? Sure. Uh, for me, what I'm most proud of is bringing a collaborative approach to the 303D program. And I've had the opportunity to do that at two different levels. I was lucky enough to be able to and continue to work with the Association of Clean Water Administrators, which is a state's group. And through that group, I get to talk with Ron and other folks in the 303D or TMDL program across the country. And we get to partner with EPA to share stories, to come together, to problem solve, and to improve on a national level the TMDL program through this collaboration. And we get to brainstorm and and um, I think that's been very effective, certainly for my state of Connecticut, but I, I think it's also been helpful to both EPA and states across the country to have this level of collaboration. And then within my own state, again, focusing on the collaboration, we've had a lot of collaboration within our agency. So we have programs outside of the TMDL and water quality standards programs that are now talking about how they can implement standards through their work because of ongoing conversations about how to be a team to you know to uh, make these plans and implement these plans for water quality um, so i think that would be my focus um, and then finally we took this collaborative approach to the public and in connecticut we call it integrated water resource management and we had through the TMDL program vision, we had a lot of conversations with the public as to what's important for them, what they were interested in, where did they want us to focus our efforts. And we built new partnerships and strengthened old partnerships that I think is resulting in improvements in Connecticut for water quality. So that would be what the areas that I'm I'm most proud for uh, my work in the 303D program. Ron, what about you? All across the Mountain West, it seems like uh, Wyoming, Montana, then Region Region Eight for EPA. Your work there. What would you say are your personal success stories in this world? Well, <laughs> I mean, one thing obviously there was a big drive meet the demands of the court order, and they were overwhelming requirements. So I, I'm, I'm super proud that we found a way to actually get all that work done, but that's just counting beans. So I, I, we did some, I think, some pretty cool stuff with the, the lawsuit in Montana. The lawsuit required um, at that time of Montana to complete TMDLs, all necessary TMDLs for everything on the 1996 303D list by 2007. And I mean, don't quote me on these numbers, but I think it was, it might've been like 1700 water body pollutant combinations. They wanted just segment by segment TMDLs, get them done. First of all, our 1996 list, like many states lists at that time, 
was not based on on a lot of data. Many, many of our 303D listings at that point in time were based on nominations from, from folks. I mean, someone from the Forest Service would say, X Creek has a sediment impairment, it would end up on the list. It made absolutely no sense to just blindly go forward and do TMDLs for impairments that may or may not even exist. So we negotiated with the plaintiffs and said, you know, how about instead of going blindly down that path, let's reassess our 303D list. So we have a solid understanding of, of the impairment. Let's do that first. And then instead of just segment by segment TMDLs, let's come up with a watershed approach where we look at things at a watershed scale and address whatever impairments happen to ex exist within that watershed, whether they were on the 96 list or some subsequent list. And we ended up working through that process. We ended up negotiating with the plaintiffs several times. And I think um, Montana, and I was no longer working for Montana at this time directly, but I think that court order wrapped up in 2014 finally. But through that, I think we collectively created a pretty good way of, of looking at water quality issues at a water watershed scale, as opposed to just counting the beans and, and getting the work done. And, and that set the stage for, I mean, I think how Montana is doing things now and, and kind of how we're doing things as well here in Wyoming. Okay, those are my prepared questions. And so I want to allow you the space to kind of circle back and have an opportunity to have any sort of final thoughts about this work specifically, how this acts as the bridge between that that standards and, and monitoring uh, section of the Clean Water Act and the implementation arms, any reflections on your work or anything like that. So just final thoughts before we let you go. So for me, the 303D TMDL program vision asked us to be thoughtful about how we were going to move forward to be more effective to restore and protect water quality. As we move forward into the next 50 years of the 303D program um, and the Clean Water Act and new folks are coming on board, it is important to take a step back and still focus on putting those water quality plans together, but really looking at the whys and the hows of how we're doing that, making sure we're making effective choices, looking at new tools, whether it's uh, modeling to extend data or developing standard operating procedures or tools to help both the TMDL program staff and the public understand the analysis. It's coming back to science-based decision-making and looking at how we can more effectively approach these last challenging issues um, in water quality, whether it's nutrients or environmental justice, and be able to effectively communicate that and analyze those issues on a large scale. Because if we're going to ask people to do things that's going to take resources and time and money, 
We really want everyone's buy-in as to what the issue is and what the solution is. And the TMDL program is uniquely situated between the standards and monitoring and the implementation programs for permitting and non-point source so that we can be effective both in our responsibilities to implement the Clean Water Act, but our responsibilities to our local communities and states to restore and protect water quality, um, to support quality of life for both people and the ecological communities. Ron, do you have anything to add? Well, yeah. Um, again, I, th I think that the issues that we're dealing with in some of these rural Western states are, are, are a little different. Um, and the, the solution to the application of the TMDL program might be a little different. We're often dealing with primarily non-point source issues in, in very rural settings where the impairment is fairly simple, fairly straightforward. What I always say with these things, keep it simple, simple solutions for simple problems. Let's not <clears throat> lose the forest through the trees with with procedure and 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 policy and and again going back to the, the the vision strategy we've got the flexibility now to select the best tool in the toolbox for proceeding with with a plan to address these water quality problems and a tmdl might not be the the, the best way to go for a very simple non-point source source problem it may be some alternative to that, that that makes more sense. So use the best tool in the toolbox for the, the solution or the problem that you've got. I want to thank you both so much for your time today. I love talking about the TMDL program. Again, it is my favorite four-letter word, and it reminds me of home. I spent 13 years running the program for the state of Iowa. I spent a lot of time in meetings with both of you. I spent even more time in meetings with Tracy and talking about this program. And so this feels very much like home. And I'm so thrilled to be able to share that with our audience. Personally, thank you both so much for taking the time out to talk about this program. Thanks, Jeff. It's been great to talk with uh, you and Ron today. Yeah, thanks, Jeff. It's been fun. More fun with TMDLs. That's episode five. I really enjoyed reconnecting with Tracy and Ron, and I hope you enjoyed meeting them. Our next two episodes will cover the implementation programs of the Clean Water Act, which will put these water quality plans into action. I've got more great guests lined up for you as we get into the action components of the process. If you have any questions about this or future episodes, please get in touch. You can find us on Twitter at cleanwaterpod or send me an email at cleanwaterpod at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you, what questions you may have, and what you'd like to hear on the pod. Until next time, thanks for listening.